folks, we're really glad uh, that you're here today. I'm glad to be here uh, after a few weeks uh, being away from you. And uh, we are still, still in this series, Counterculture. And this morning, we are talking about counterculture uh, citizenship. Um, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in a world that does not follow Jesus? And this morning, we're going to talk about citizenship. Does that word not throw you back to middle school? Uh, I mean, we used to have a class called citizenship. I think they called it civics. I don't even know if they, uh, they teach that anymore. But I, I got a grade in elementary school for citizenship. I'm not going to tell you what that grade was. But uh, anyway, we, we talked a lot about that uh, growing up. Uh, I was told a long time ago uh, that there were two things that you didn't talk about in polite company. That's politics and religion. Guess what? This morning we're going to talk about politics and religion. Okay, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus um, in a culture that does not follow Jesus? Find Jeremiah 29 uh, on your device or in your Bible. We're going to look at that passage, Jeremiah 29, uh, in just a second. This is an election year. Uh, don't know if anybody's been talking about that yet. We're less than three months away. Uh, but uh, we're all into politics. Everything's political these days. Uh, and wouldn't it be nice if we knew how Jesus would vote? Would Jesus vote? Would Jesus get involved in the political process? We're going to talk about that uh, this morning. Politics, politics is from the Greek word polis, meaning city, Indianapolis, Minneapolis. Polis. Uh, politics means, uh, is the means by which people live together in a community. How can we live and thrive in a community together? Why is that? Because wherever two or three are gathered together, because of human nature, we need a system in place to protect uh, and to provide uh, for our well-being, to ensure the thriving of those people in that community. So as Jesus followers, as salt and light, and this is what we've been talking about in this series, we live as salt and light counter to the culture we're in, uh, not only counter to the culture, but we live influencing and impacting the culture uh, through whatever systems and opportunities that God gives us. So Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 14, I'm going to read this entire passage together, uh, and uh, then we're going to talk about what it means to live as a citizen in our culture. These are the words, starting with verse 1, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to, to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah uh, and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. So uh, Babylon had come in and captured Jerusalem and carried off all of the smart, rich, uh, competent people. And so Jeremiah is left in Jerusalem and he writes a letter uh, to the elders or to the leaders of that community in, in Babylon. Uh, verse three, the letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Japhon, uh, and Gambariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Okay, that was really quick. But here's what the letter said, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. 
But seek, verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Here's what he wants to say to them, verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And here's the verse that many of us are familiar with, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So counterculture citizenship. What is a citizen? Are you ready for a civics lesson? Okay, it's going to be brief, but it is going to be on the quiz. You won't get into heaven without knowing this stuff, okay? A citizen. What is a citizen? Here's the official definition. A legal recognized subject or national of a state or commonwealth, either native or naturalized. A citizen is simply a member of a civic society with rights and responsibilities inherent in that membership. And the collective participation of those citizens is what what makes up what we would call uh, politics. As U.S. citizens, and, and I'm assuming most all of us, if not all of us, in this room are U.S. citizens. We have privileges. We have protections afforded to us by our government as a natural uh, or a native or naturalized member of this country called America. I have been in several countries. And uh, fortunately, I've not had to do this. But if I ran into a problem, if I found myself in trouble in one of those countries, I simply go to the embassy, the American embassy in that country, and they are obligated They are obligated to help me, to protect me, to serve me. Why? Because I'm an American citizen. They don't do that to the citizens of that country, but they do that for the citizens of America. Now, that citizenship also comes with a set of responsibilities. You know, we we defend the Constitution, we obey the laws, we pay our taxes, we contribute to the welfare uh, of our country. Now, what we want to talk about today with citizenship is what we uh, a status called dual, dual citizenship. There are a lot of people in our country that have a dual citizenship. They are members of two different countries simultaneously, uh, enjoying the, uh, bearing the rights and enjoying the, the responsibilities of, of, of both. Now, you're, you're from England. You come to America. You become a citizen of America, but you don't renounce England. And so you benefit from those privileges. You, you, you hold the responsibilities of both. Uh, in the U.S., even though you know, we take an oath of citizenship, uh, but the U.S., uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but they, they don't. They don't require you to announce, uh, renounce your homeland. You can have dual citizenship in America. Now, why I tell you all of this is because in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul had what we call dual citizenship. He was a Jew, and so he was a member of the Hebrew community. He was a citizen of Israel, but through his family connection and history, he also possessed citizenship in Rome. He was a Roman citizen, which came in handy for him several times when people wanted to beat him for preaching the gospel. As a Roman citizen, he was protected from being flogged. 
you weren't exempt from being uh, prosecuted if you were guilty, but you were exempt from certain types of executions if you were a Roman citizen. So there were some perks to being a Roman citizen. Here's my point. Every follower of Jesus is a dual citizen. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, every, every believer has membership in two different kingdoms on earth. In Colossians, Paul said it this way, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. He's talking about the kingdom of earth, the dominion of darkness, where, the, where Satan is the prince of this world, and the kingdom of heaven, where Jesus is king. And so right now, you and I as believers, followers of Jesus, we are citizens of both kingdoms, which can cause a little confusion. Uh, look, look at these two verses, Romans 13 uh, and Philippians 3. Romans 13 says, uh, God has ordained the human systems to ensure human thriving, governing authorities, uh, are accountable for our well-being. Uh, granted, sometimes the governing authorities don't work very well, uh, which is why Paul tells us to pray for them. Uh, he also taught us to obey our human authorities as long as it doesn't conflict with God's authority in our lives. We may reside on earth. We may pledge allegiance to the flag. But as a Jesus follower, we understand there's a higher authority that we submit to. There's a greater allegiance to the king of kings. Paul says our citizenship ultimately is in heaven. Our allegiance is to Jesus. Our, our submission ultimately is to the, the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of Christ. Now let me stop there for just a second and call out the elephant in the room. Some of you think you know where I'm going. Pastor Tim's going to tell us to throw away our masks and burn the flag. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you to do that. Uh, this past week, uh, two mega churches found themselves in the news, uh, both in California. Uh, one is holding indoor services in defiance of the government regulations in California. Another mega church just a few miles down the road from Sun City to Riverside, uh, they are outside in a large tent following all of the protocols, but still holding uh, services. Which one is right? Should we obey man rather than God? Should we obey God rather than man? Is this really the question that we need to be answering right now? Those who are prayer warriors start to pray for me right now because I'm stepping into it, okay? I'm going where angels fear to tread. Uh, now, California is not America, okay? So we're in a different situation. We need to understand that, okay? Uh, but and I, and I will say this: I I respect whatever any church chooses to do to make it through this pandemic because this is not easy. You all know that. Uh, we have been faced with very difficult decisions on what to do uh, with our call to worship God and Jesus, and our call uh, to honor our governing authorities, addressing issues of church and state. When it comes to public health, that's what we're dealing with. The uh, issues of church and state when it comes to public health. Grace Fellowship decided five months ago that we were going to love our neighbor and honor our government. We are going to honor our government and love our neighbor. And right now, friends, we can do that. We can do both. Um, until law enforcement 
bars uh, the doors to our building and does not allow us in until our government arrests me for preaching the gospel, friends, we can honor our government and love our neighbor. The church will always prevail. Amen? Jesus will always be king. Amen? Okay, so if you disagree with me, uh, don't email me, okay? Uh, because this, is, this has been difficult for all of us. Uh, issues of church and state, uh, and particularly in this situation when it comes to public health. And this is kind of what we find in Jeremiah 29, kingdoms in conflict. Israel and Babylon, the dominion of darkness and the kingdom of God. And let me give you the, the Reader's Digest context for this. Israel disobeys God. They've done that several times. This time, God allows Babylon to come in and conquer them. And Babylon, in this, in this one wave, carries off all the smart and the rich and the influential people, the competent people, the political leaders uh, into Babylon. They bring all of these uh, high-level people into Babylon with the intention of assimilating them into their culture because these are the leaders, these are the people that are going to influence all the other people. And so they're going to indoctrinate them into the ways of Babylon so that within a generation or two, all of these people, the nation of Israel, will no longer be a nation of Israel. They will no longer be Hebrews. They will now be Babylonians, okay? And so that, that was their strategy, and there was a select number of prophets among them telling them to resist at every turn. Fight against your oppressors. Don't get comfortable. Civil disobedience, which on the surface makes sense, right? I mean, it's God or it's Babylon. And so you don't want to go to Babylon and get involved with Babylon because your higher allegiance is to God. So we understand the thinking and the argument. So it's, it's really strange then for God uh, to have Jeremiah write this letter uh, to, the, to the leaders uh, in Babylon, Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem. He writes this letter to the, the, the exile leaders and says this. And if you, if you have your Bible, I'll be able to see this. Verse 5, he says, build houses, build houses, plant gardens. He, he's telling them to settle in. Verse 6, get married, have, per, per, perpetuate the family, keep living your lives. Verse 7, and this is really strange, seek the welfare of the city that's oppressing you. Seek the well of the polis, the, the city. Drop down to verse 10. Here's the promise. In 70 years, I will come for you. Now, 70 years. Think about that. Uh, that's, that's about enough time for everyone initially involved in this exile to have died out, and a new generation will have risen up. And so there's, there's a whole new initiative here, and God says, at that time, I will fulfill my promise to you. And he's telling them, it's going to be okay. I have promised you. I am faithful. God's kingdom will stand. But in the meantime, settle in, but don't settle down. Settle in, but don't settle down. Citizens of heaven. Uh, friends, we are followers of Jesus, but we are dual citizens. We are in the world, but not of the world. This world is not our home. But for around 70, 80, 90 years, we make it our home. We are never commanded to forsake this home. Quite the opposite. We are commanded to be salt and light in this home until God calls us home. And so what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven on earth? Let me give you two things. Number one, first and foremost, I am a disciple of Jesus. Before anything else, I'm a follower of Jesus. Before I'm an American, I'm a Jesus follower. Before I'm a Democrat or a Republican, I'm a Jesus follower, which means I orient my entire life around my, my worldview, my philosophy of life. I, I, I orient my entire life around what Jesus says about my life. 
Everything about me, my family, my work, my church, my finances, my sexuality, my relationships, my politics, uh, how I view issues of justice, how I vote, how I engage in the government and the community and the political political process. I am a Jesus follower first and foremost, and I live counter to the culture that I'm in. It's costly and it's hard. There's a price to be paid for that. But when I do that well, as a citizen, when I follow Jesus faithfully as a citizen, I am offering my culture an alternative way of life, a life that is better, not just for eternity, but for the here and now. Eternal life in heaven, abundant life on earth. I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus, which means, secondly, I'm an ambassador of the kingdom. I represent that kingdom. I am salt and light. I am Jesus with skin on. I'm a demonstration of the gospel. My job, my life is to represent the Jesus who is my ultimate authority in a way that is gracious and beautiful. I make Jesus attractive to the world and I invite my culture into a better life, into a better kingdom. I am a citizen of heaven. First, but at the same time, I'm a citizen of earth. This is, this is my home. I am a resident alien with an ultimate allegiance to the king of heaven. So how do I do that? Because here's the deal, friends. I live counter to the culture. I live counter to the culture. But friends, to live counter to the culture doesn't mean I live anti to the culture. This is not an us and them particularly. We are not against the culture. We are for our culture because when the culture thrives, and this is what Jeremiah was saying, when the culture thrives, we thrive. When we seek the welfare of the city, when we work for its welfare, we, we tend to experience welfare. That's our job, to influence and persuade the community as to the best way that that community can thrive. So uh, with that in mind, uh, here are three things that I think Jeremiah is telling us uh, in this passage and in his communication to the exiles in Babylon. Here's the first one. Wisely engage. Wisely engage. Jeremiah says 70 years. He's telling them, uh, this is not a vacation. This is not a sabbatical. This is not a temporary. This is a life. This is a generational. You're going to be here for a while, so make the best of it. Make the most of it. It's going to be hard, but you can't opt out. As Jesus followers, you, you represent a different kingdom. Uh, Jesus tells us salt doesn't work well in a bottle. Light does, has no effect under a basket. Isolation and separation is not a kingdom strategy. In John 17, Jesus prays for us. Did you know that Jesus prays for you? Isn't that a good, we need prayer, right? <laughs> Jesus prays for us in John 17 and he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the prince of this world, the evil one. He prays for us. Now I know what, uh, you know, I, I think this sometimes, I know you think this sometimes, I'd rather he just take us out of the world. <laughs> I, would rather, I would rather isolate and separate, but that's not, friends, that's not what Jesus did. Uh, he loved the world so much that he came to the world. He came into the world. He lived on this earth. He died for the world. Uh, Jesus has sent us out as sheep in the midst of wolves, as sheep in the midst of wolves. Think about this. Where do sheep come from? And this is not a stork lesson. Where, 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 do, where do sheep come from? Bef here's the thing, friends. Before you were a sheep, you were a wolf. Okay, uh, before you were a citizen of heaven, you belonged to the dominion of darkness. And just as he transferred you from darkness to light, God wants as many wolves as he can reach to become sheep. And the only way that happens is for you who have become sheep 
to live among the wolves. This is what Jeremiah is telling them. This is not your home, but for now, make this your home. Don't isolate, permeate. He wants to sprinkle you like salt throughout your culture, your community, to make an impact, to attract and compel those willing to consider a better kingdom. A good friend of mine sent me an article this past week, an editorial entitled, Would Jesus Wear a Mask? Would Jesus Wear a Mask? I I thanked her for sending it to me. I read it. Uh, It was well-reasoned. I couldn't argue against it. But then I thought, and this, this was my thought, we have debated this for five months. God only knows if masks work. Jesus is the only one who knows if, if this is really working. And so, I, I, so I, don't, I don't know if he would wear a mask or not. I do know this. He would love his neighbor. He would love his neighbor. He would do what's loving toward his neighbor regardless of how his neighbor loved him back. Would Jesus vote? Well, he did say once to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And you think about this, 2,000 years ago, in, in, in Jesus' culture, uh, community, voting wasn't an option. Caesar wasn't decided by you in a democratic process. He was decided for you in a dictatorship. What a privilege for you and me uh, to be able uh, to make our voices heard in a political process. When Jesus said to render to Caesar uh, what is Caesar's, he wasn't telling us to opt out. He was telling us to prioritize. You have a higher allegiance. When Peter proclaimed in the book of Acts, we must obey God rather than man, he wasn't giving us a pass on dishonoring the government. When Paul said to honor the governing authorities in Romans 13, he's, he, they're, all, all, they're all saying, when we can obey government and God, we need to obey both. But when you can only obey one, you need to obey God. Jeremiah says to seek the welfare of the city. Your welfare, the city's welfare, is bound up in the welfare of the government that rules you. So we need as salt and light to engage it and participate it and do what we can to make that city better. Most of all, pray for it. First Timothy chapter 2 says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For who? For kings, for your governing authorities, for all those in authority, that they may live peaceful and quiet lives, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. When you seek their welfare, you tend to experience your welfare. We live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. This is good and pleases God our Savior. You want to please God this week? Pray for your leaders. Because here's the bottom line, friends. We'll never get it right with the culture until we get it right with God. And so pray and then participate. Participate. It's rather discouraging at times to see the numbers of Jesus followers who don't participate in the political process. I know this is a debatable issue, but I I, I don't believe that this is a personal opinion. I believe that faith requires action. And when we've been given the opportunity to be salt and light in our culture, friends, salt preserves, light illumines. And so when we participate with the rights and the privileges that we have in the political process, what, what we vote on, what we participate on, friends, it affects our culture and it affects our lives. We preach the gospel uh, to enlighten people with the truth and we participate in the political process uh, to protect our culture and to enhance our culture. Uh, well, I don't like the choices I have this year, so I'm gonna set it out. Have you heard that one? Well, I've heard that one almost every election cycle. <laughs> 
But we need to remind ourselves, friends, that we are not voting for a personality. We're voting for policies because the personality that we vote for is going to pursue policies that affect everyone. Your family, your church, your country. Voting affects every cultural issue in our country. And so I, I believe that the, what, what, the, what the Bible is teaching us is that you not only have the privilege to be salt and light in the, in the political process, you have a responsibility to be salt and light in the political process. So wisely engage. And then secondly, we intentionally resist. Intentionally resist. Our challenge as Jesus followers is to influence the culture without the culture influencing us. Amen? Uh, in this very next verse, in this prayer that Jesus prays in John 17, he says, they are not of this world even as I am not of it. We are, we are here. Uh, this is where we get the phrase, in the world, not of the world. We, we live life in this world. We participate in the economic system. We are part of the social fabric. We, uh, we, are, we are involved in the political process. So, so Jeremiah warns us, settle in, but don't settle down. This is where you live, but this is not your home. In a couple of weeks, I'm really excited about this, we are going to dig into the life of Daniel for several weeks, who was a contemporary of this time. He was one of those uh, smart, competent people who were carried off into Babylon. He would be one receiving this letter from Jeremiah. He actually rose in the ranks politically in Babylon. He lived counter to the culture, but sought the welfare of the culture. And so Jeremiah is warning him as he's warning us. Assimilation is a very subtle process, friends. You don't always know when you're being indoctrinated. You don't always recognize. You don't always recognize the underlying message in that film that you think is so awesome. You don't always readily detect the philosophy that's being promoted in the sitcom that you think is so funny. You're not always aware of the lyrics that you keep singing over and over in your head that's so slowly compromising your biblical worldview. And so Jeremiah is saying, be involved, be a part, but beware. I love the message paraphrase in, in Romans chapter 12 that says, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. In other words, influence the culture. Don't be influenced by the culture. Be an ambassador of Christ. And friends, the best ambassadors... Uh, the one living in the foreign country, but, not, but representing a different country, the best ones, the best ones are fluent in the language. They understand the culture. They understand the systems and the values of that country. But simultaneously, their purpose, their mission is looking for ways to disseminate the values of the kingdom they represent. Jesus said, you are a city on a hill. You are salt and light. And so influence and impact the community and the culture with the love of Jesus. Wisely engage, intentionally resist, and then finally, sacrificially love. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here's the deal. If you follow Jesus and you wisely engage and intentionally resist, you will need to love your neighbors and pray for those who persecute you because that's exactly what you'll get. <laughs> you'll get enemies and persecutors. Friends, we live in a broken world. Has it ever been more broken? And I know the temptation for most of us is to think, I can't fix the problems. I can't fix this brokenness. So I'm just going to simply opt out. I'm going to disengage. I'm going to isolate and separate. Uh, just two things to consider about this, friends. One, to love Jesus is to love the things that Jesus loves, to love what Jesus loves. And he loves the world. He loves the wolves out to get him. And he's loving them into sheep. 
And he's calling us to do the same. And here's the second thing. Jesus doesn't call us to fix the brokenness. He just simply calls us to love the brokenness. Broken people can't fix broken people. Only God can do that. So he's calling us to step into the brokenness with the healing power of the gospel. We'll talk about more, more of that in depth uh, next week. I just want to close um, with another thing that John says in chapter 1, verse 17. The word became flesh. And this, again, this is a message paraphrase. I love it. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. This was Jesus. And he's calling us to do the same, to move into our neighborhood, to settle in, but don't settle down, to have a higher allegiance, to honor your king, and to lovingly represent your king by loving your community well. Would you pray with me? Uh, I, I want to I pray for you this morning. And before I pray, I, first of all, I want to pray for those who are not yet a follower of Jesus. And I want to invite you into a relationship that is ultimately eternal, where you, where you need a new king. And I just want to remind you that politics will not save you. This world eventually will come to an end and your only hope is Jesus. If you have a question about that, I would be glad to answer that. There's a place on the website where you can respond to us. And then for, for Jesus followers, I just want to pray for you. Don't ignore your calling or minimize your impact. Find the opportunities God gives you to be salt and light in your community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you are and all that you've done for us and the calling that you've placed on our lives that we would recognize in this very difficult, divisive, destructive culture that we live in, particularly in these last months and the months ahead and what we're facing. Father, this is, we, we pray we plead, we lean on your sovereignty and grace to guide us through the mess of our culture. But Father, may we never neglect the responsibility we have to our culture to be salt and light and to influence and impact wherever you place us. And so Father, that is our prayer, to use us, to maximize our impact, and may we honor you in doing so. In Jesus' name we pray. 